Today, I have a very special guest, Drew Ann Long, who is the founder and creator of Caroline's Cart. Caroline's Cart provides caregivers and parents a viable option to transport a special needs individual through a store while shopping without the impossible task of having to maneuver a wheelchair and a traditional shopping cart at the same time. You may have seen one at Target, Wegmans, Lowe's, or even Whole Foods. It's named after Caroline, the special needs daughter of Drew Ann and David Long. Drew Ann saw the need for Caroline's cart after realizing her special needs daughter would outgrow a typical shopping cart. Caroline's cart has now become a national reality. Retailers such as supermarkets, hypermarkets, shopping centers, and malls offering Caroline's cart provide a valuable service to many families in our communities. All families deserve this shopping experience. Go to carolinescart.com to find a map of stores that currently offer Caroline's cart. And there are materials as well to help bring one to your store. If you're a current store manager, we strongly recommend purchasing one to be a more inclusive store. And now for the episode, enjoy listening. All right, welcome to another episode of Free Wheeling with Carden. I have Drew Ann here today in the house. She is the founder, creator of Caroline's Carts. Welcome, Drew Ann. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. And I just wanted to share your story about the creation behind Caroline's Cart. So start from the beginning. I, I know you have a daughter named Caroline and uh-huh. dot, dot, dot. <laughs> well, Caroline, Caroline is now 19 years old. When Caroline was born, she was born in 2000. When I left the hospital, I, told I, ha- I was told I had a perfectly healthy baby. She was my second daughter. So when we went home, I had no idea she had a disability, none. Mm -hmm. The life was great. I'm the mom of two. But by the time she hit about six months old, in my heart, I knew something was wrong. I had no idea what was wrong, but I knew something was wrong. By the time she was around 12 months old, it was pretty obvious. So that started the testing phase of trying to find out what was wrong. So it really did take a couple of years. She was not diagnosed until she was about three years old. And she has a genetic condition called RET, R-E-T-T, RET syndrome. It is something that happened at conception. It is genetic. It is not anything that I carry or my husband sure. carry. It can happen to anyone, anytime. It's primarily only in girls. You might have a RET boy here and there, but generally it is just girls. And it affects one in 10,000 births. And it is, it's a pretty devastating diagnosis, or it was for us. Caroline does not walk or talk. She has never walked. And um, she's a happy child. She's aware of her surroundings. But it's not an easy diagnosis by any stretch. So when she, you know, and, and having a child with a disability, I mean, you are just, it's baptism by fire. You are thrown into this world you know nothing about. You know nothing about. My new saying is you don't know what you don't know. You will hear me say that many times because I knew nothing about the world of disability. So, you know, one day at a time and 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 life, you know, days turned into months, turned into years. And before I knew it, Caroline was around seven, eight years old, still not walking. And as a mom of three, I then had another child. I found myself at the grocery store quite often. And when she outgrew what the stores provided, I went to the store manager and I said, 
I'm sure there is a special needs shopping cart. Could you please order one? Or do you happen to have one? I just don't mm. see it. And that's where it all started. There was <laughs> never a special needs shopping cart ever. Sure. I was born out of a need, born out of a need for my daughter. Sure. And I, I think that's how all great ideas come from, right? You see a problem. It either is personal or you see someone else struggling and and then you're like, okay, what can I do to fix it? It's that mindset right. shift. And I think it takes a particular type of person that, I mean, something you were going to the grocery store on a regular basis, you had multiple kids, they were young. And it's like, how how can you like carry all those groceries, but also you have a child who needs to use a wheelchair and wants to go to the grocery store, right? You can't just leave them right, at home. Right. So, sure, right. What were those initial conversations that you had with those grocery store managers? Well, I'll tell you this. I, I'm sure you've seen them. All the stores have the fun kitty carts. Okay. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? They might look like a race car or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, a fire truck. Sure. So knowing that retailers had those kind of carts and electric scooters, every retailer has an electric scooter. I like for adults, really could. Right? Sure. For adults. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I could not believe that retailers were providing carts for these different people groups yet the disabled community was completely looked mm-hmm. over. And I am not, I'm very thankful for those variety of carts. Because of those variety of carts, I knew I had a shot. It, it was very, very disturbing to me that there are disabled children and adults in every community in the United States. We all eat food. We all go out. Sure. Yet we don't have any options in these retail environments. The toddler has options. Mm-hmm. The, the little uh, twins have options. I've seen carts for twins. If you can drive an electric scooter, you have an option. But if you are, if you are disabled like my daughter, there, are, there were no options. And I could not, I just could not let that go. And I thought, you mm-hmm. know what? This is something I've got to try to do. And so how long was it until you wrestled with that idea and like realized that it was a, a big problem? And like you, on, in your book, you talked about just drawing something on a napkin. What was the timeline there? Right. Well, it was about a year that I was talking to different managers around my town. Mm-hmm. And really, every one of them was kind of the same way. Like, oh, we never thought about a special needs shopping cart. That's <laughs> very interesting. Huh, I didn't, maybe they're out there. Let me, you know. So it was a year of talking. And mm-hmm. after a year of talking and really realizing it was not anywhere that's exactly what I did. I sat down and I drew on a piece of paper what would not only accommodate my daughter, but millions of older children and adults. Millions. Mm. So started on a piece of paper in my dining room. Yes. <laughs> That's so great. And then from there, where did that... It sounds like you went to the University of Alabama. And what was that conversation like? Right. I went to, um, I went to UAB, which is... Um, University of Alabama at Birmingham. And I went there and I went to their engineering department because I thought this cannot be that hard. So Mm -hmm. I really just wanted some outside information, maybe somebody that was more experienced at this, just to, you know, bounce my ideas off of. And every where I went, everybody thought, gosh, this is a great idea. Why has no one done this? Why has no one done this? So yes, just not knowing how to do this I was seeking a lot of outside advice. 
and I did start at UAB. They actually designed the seat mold for me, Hmm. um, but they did not really do my prototype. They didn't do the, but really, I just got encouragement from them, ideas from them. I developed a a team on really just uh, on next steps on really how to make this come off of a piece of paper into a prototype. Sure, it was like that initial launch pad. It seemed like and right, right, sure. So then years went by, right? Of just going to people, trying to get the prototyping, getting the patent, right? Getting, yeah, um, trying to find who in the world can make a prototype for me. And obviously, it costs a lot of money. What was that financial burden like? Like you're growing your family, you're on a single income. Not only do you have children with disabilities, that also adds to the financial burden. What is that? All right, like? it was a tremendous burden. You said early on in our conversation that it takes a special type of person to do this, mm-hmm. and let me tell you the type of type of person that needs somebody very naive. And I am so <laughs> glad I was so naive because had I known the financial burden, I would have never done this. Mm-hmm. I thought that this was not electric. This was nothing. This was not an app. This was something, this was a modification of a standard cart. I never dreamt that it would bring us to the brink of bankruptcy. I never dreamt that. The patent cost, the attorney fees, the prototype, just my very first prototype that I got in Indiana, my very first prototype was $28,000 for one cart. One cart. For one cart. One cart. $28,000. Had I known that, a couple of years before, before I jumped off this cliff, I would, of course, never done it because we didn't have that kind of money hmm. at all. So, yeah. yeah, it was a, I'm glad that I was naive, glad that I did not know any better. But because once I, once I got years into it, I couldn't quit. You right. Know, it was like you've invested so much money, right. time, energy. That's right. Couldn't yeah. afford to quit. Yeah. I wanted to quit, but I couldn't afford to quit. It was that it was that difficult. But like you said, I had a husband that traveled for a living. I had three small kids at home, one with a disability. I didn't work on this eight hours a day. I didn't have mm-hmm. that luxury. I did this when I could. Mm-hmm. So I would be at the dance studio. I would be at therapy. I would be at the t-ball field. So this was a slow go because I didn't have the luxury of working on it all the time. And I guess, what advice would you give to some of those other people that are also doing those side projects that they're really passionate about it, but they it's not their full time job? You know, do your homework and know what you're getting into. You know, I was very um, again naive, and I just I was I was so excited about it. It's very exciting to do something like this, and it's very scary. So know what you're getting into, and be willing to take risks. You have to be willing to take risks. And I, I I knew that, but I never knew the amount of risk that it required sure. to get a product to market. So if you're, if you're willing to take the risk and you're willing to stick with it for a long haul, then you might have a shot at it. Nice. And so you got that initial prototype. What was it like? What was going through your mind? Like everything that you drew out on paper was now Well, by that physical. time, yeah, it was, it was very... It was just hard to believe because by by the time I got to the prototype company in Indiana, it had been several years. Sure, this had been several years of of uh, trying and failing, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, being a mom in another hospital with Caroline. Um, so by the time of finding the money to pay for the twenty eight thousand dollar prototype for the one <laughs> prototype, just one people, just one, 
so when I saw it, it really was like it was it was so exciting, mm-hmm. yet it was terrifying because now I had made it to the next step, and it's like, okay, now what do you do with this prototype? It it made it real. It made it like, mm-hmm. oh boy, this was a huge investment, a huge step. Now I've got to get go from prototype to production, to manufacturing. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. Scary and. What what was that like? It sounded like there was. It seemed like you went from you talked to Target, and Walmart, and all these other stores, and they were like, "There's only one company, the Monopoly, that creates cars, right. and everyone sources from this one company." Right. And I was not with that one company, so that <laughs> yeah, that was pretty bad. So so once I got my prototype, I went to social media and I created. Um, Caroline's Cart Facebook page, um, nice. Twitter, Instagram, all that. And hindsight's twenty twenty. I actually had created that a little bit too soon mm. because the second I put my prototype in pictures and I put it out there, instantly, instantly, I had thousands of people saying, I need that. Where do I get mm. that? What store has that? I need to shop there. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I have been wanting this for years. So I remember thinking, holy cow, I have one cart and it's in my dining room. So I am, <laughs> want to wow. share it with the world. <laughs> All right. I've got, I've got to figure this out. So I did start going to stores and showing them my prototype. And I will tell you that most stores, when you point out the lack of accessibility, the lack of inclusion, they do listen. Mm. And they don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Sure. And a lot of them said, oh, our stores, our stores are accessible. Um, we have handicapped bathrooms. <laughs> we have doors that open. And I said, that is a step in the right direction. However, your stores mm-hmm. are not accessible when it comes to your shopping carts. Mm-hmm. So many of them, that's when I learned about a company called Technibuilt. And they all bought their carts from them. And I knew I had to get to them somehow. So here I was out cuddling my dog and pony show. (laughs) And I didn't even have a manufacturer yet. But what I was trying to do was build demand. Mm. Build demand. Um, Build demand from the corporate side. Build demand from the consumer side. Mm -hmm. All along, not having a manufacturer. But the only way that a small, you know, small mom from small town Alabama is going to get attention is if the demand is there. And I think that was one of the hardest things for me was creating that demand. So what's a typical conversation? Can you elaborate more on you're going into a manager's office and you're do you just point out and say, hey, you don't have an you don't have any shopping carts that are accessible? Or do you have to approach it a certain way? Well, oh well, of course. I, I was very careful. What I did was I would I would point out the carts that they did have. Mm. I pointed out all those great fun carts for the toddler. Mm. And the ones that hold the the twins and the ones that hold the preschoolers. I'm like, why do you have all those? And they're like, well, you know, we want the, you know, traditionally moms, of course, sometimes dads do the shopping. And when they come with their kids, we want the kids to be happy, the kids to have a place to sit because if the kid is happy, the mom's happy and she's going to stay in the store longer. And I'm like, well, that's great. I love that. But what about the special needs child? What about that older child with a disability that can't walk? What about that older child with a disability that's a runner? Perhaps they, you know, they need to be confined a little bit. They have sensory overload. 
Mm-hmm. And that's when they would, they, they would listen because they were like, you know what? We, it, 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 this is a, this is a segment of the population that has been overlooked. That's mm-hmm. how the conversation went. So, you know, I, I just really wanted to point out that they were helping a large variety of their customers, mm-hmm. yet they had totally forgotten the special needs community. I think it's important when you're going just in any advocacy, right? Um, and I do this a lot with restaurants and with other facilities, mainly like restaurants and bars, because I like, you know, going out and doing things and stuff. And it's okay, well, your bathroom doesn't have grab bars. And so how do you approach that conversation in a delicate way that's not like you're total garbage because your bathroom isn't accessible, right? And so right, right. As we build this inclusive world and community, it starts with having a conversation and being really diligent and um, effective, but also, you know, going at it at a delicate way because you never want to like yell at someone for being inaccessible because, again, they may not know. Right, right. And I did find out over the years that people, once you pointed out the problem, Mm-hmm. And then you showed them the solution. Mm-hmm. They were very interested and they wanted their store to be accessible. They wanted mm-hmm. to promote inclusion. So, you know, yeah. I think there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it. But I think you need to point out the obvious, which is here's all your fun cart. Show me where you're helping the special needs community. Mm-hmm. And that's that's every time where, where they would be like, okay, well, we're not. Mm-hmm. We're just not. And I'm like, well, this is what has to change. Yeah. It has to change. You know, people do not realize that the special needs community is the world's largest minority group. Hmm. We are the world's largest minority group, and a lot of people really don't know that. Hmm. And so the industry that you're approaching, what were some of the stores? Um, maybe it's a particular store that you got a lot of engagement from and were really receptive to the idea. And what were some of those other ones that gave you a lot of pushback? And what was the pushback that you got? Okay. Gosh, you know, there, is just, there was just such a wide range uh, <laughs> of so many different uh, responses and answers. But I will tell you that I think one of the biggest heroes for all of us in this was Target. Target mm-hmm. was the first big, huge national chain that said... Mm-hmm. Not only do we like it, we love it. And we don't want it in a few stores. We want it in every single store. Wow. So every That's why I see store, it. In a, in, I see it in every Target. That's right. Every so, so that was absolutely tremendous because if Target's going to do it, guess what? Other stores mm-hmm. are going to follow their lead. Now, they were not the first national chain to put it in. They were probably the largest mm-hmm. national chain. Um, Wegmans is on the East Coast. And they were actually, I think, the first chain to say, we're putting it in all our stores. So Wegmans, again, people look up to Wegmans. And if Wegmans does it, it makes people say, huh, maybe we should do this. So many stores have followed their lead. But I will tell you, we are still, um, still, some are still saying no. And Mm -hmm. one of those is Costco. Costco is not interested at all in Caroline's part. It's been very, very disappointing. Hmm. I don't understand why. They don't have a reason why. And a lot of... If somebody might listen to this and say, but my Costco has it. Well, let me just tell you. 
corporate Costco has said no to Caroline's cart. Mm. I'm not giving up. We are not giving up. But I will tell you that there are some store managers, I would say probably maybe 10 to 15 store managers have bought it anyway. They either have paid for it or they have maybe some of their own store funds that they can Mm -hmm. use for whatever they want. So we we are in about 10 to 15 Costco's because Mm -hmm. of the store manager sees the need. Yeah. Sees the need. And I mean, so you're very going bulk shopping. Yeah, I would right. say it's anytime you close a door on accessibility and inclusion and diversity inclusion, right? It's that whole bubble of anytime you close that door, it's always questioning, like, you know, well, where are your real values in your company? Right. What are right. your values? Right. What do you really stand right. for? And do I want to be a customer of a store that doesn't promote inclusion and accessibility? Absolutely. I've gotten several, I mean, I've probably 50, 60 emails over the last couple of years of, I will no longer shop at X store, at Costco. I can only imagine. Store, mm-hmm. Because they do not recognize accessibility and they don't, they don't care about changing it. So you mm-hmm. absolutely can lose um, a customer base over something, about, over accessibility and inclusion. Oh, totally. I mean, I've run into businesses that are like, no, we, we we won't add a ramp through the back or, oh, we won't you know, add grab bars. I'm like, all right, well, all my friends that I bring weren't, were boycotting you. <laughs> like, right, say we're goodbye to in. our business like, and yeah, I'll promote right. it on social media that you choose not to be an inclusive right. place. Like, right. And it sounds like They're, you also... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, in this day and age, there is absolutely no excuse <laughs> for a business, for a retailer sure. to not be inclusive and accessible. Mm-hmm. There is no excuse, period. And so you have the community behind you as well, advocating and asking for carts because you're not the only one out there you know, asking for carts. So how has the community... So like myself, if I were to just go into my Whole Foods next door and be like, I didn't see Caroline's carts. Can we add it? How does that work? Right. That's how we've grown. Um, mm-hmm. Again, back to creating the demand. Mm. So, you know, thankfully, we don't have to do that at Target because we are <laughs> in every Target. However, that is not the norm. I will mm-hmm. just say Walmart. Okay. So, uh, corporate Walmart has approved Caroline's cart. It's approved. Check. However, they are leaving it up to the store manager. The store manager wants it. The store manager can buy it. Okay. If the store manager doesn't want it, you know what the store manager says? No, I don't want that. Which is which is so wrong when that store manager has every fun cart and all the electric scooters. Yet they are so. So please help me understand how corporate Walmart can tell a manager and give them the give them the ability to say whether their store is accessible or not. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, if your Walmart doesn't have it. You can go to the manager and say, hey, corporate has approved it. We're in their ordering system. They can go right to their, probably their iPhone and pull up all the shopping carts and they will actually see Carolyn's cart. They just have to punch it to order it. Hmm. So I'm and you still only just trying. need one, right? That's right. Well, a lot of stores have two, believe it or not. Oh, okay. But, um, but you know, uh, our website, carolynescart.com, has, the phone, has our phone number. So you can give uh, the phone number to the re- the manager, which is 1-800-351-CART. Um, 
And I will tell you, I don't, other than Costco, I do not know of anyone else corporately that has said no. I think the, the roadblock has been, we were hopeful that these corporate decision makers would make it a product for all their stores. Mm. Um, and that, that's not been the case. Uh, Lowe's Home Improvement, we are in every single Lowe's nationwide. They have cool. done it as well. So very kudos to, to Lowe's. We're very excited about that. And it's interesting. I'm wondering, like comparing the different competitors, like Lowe's versus Home Depot. You know, looking at their inclusion efforts there. Have you seen like Target versus Walmart? Have you seen the disparities in the companies and how they value accessibility? Absolutely. Home Depot has had the opportunity, and we are still very hopeful. Huh. Um, they have kind of taken the Walmart stance. They've approved it. But uh, we'll just let the manager decide, you know, if he wants mm. it, if not, no big deal. Um, so, so, so that was their corporate stance mm-hmm. versus Lowe's corporate stance of, hey, guess what? Every store should be accessible. Mm. Every store. And I hear time and time and time again from families that say, well, I have to shop at Lowe's because that's the only way I can get my child in the store. Wow. That's the only way. So a lot of families are choosing where they give their business Mm -hmm. based on where Caroline's part is. That's really eye-opening. And it's it should be eye-opening to the businesses as well, thinking, you know, you're losing a large percentage of money. Right. Um, And what's the cost of a single Caroline's cart? One Caroline's cart, I believe it starts right now, and I will just tell you that um the uh, manufacturer sets all that, but I can give you a oh, range. I don't want anybody to hold me that. I would say <laughs> um, without shipping, it's around, I think, 800 to $850 without shipping. So um, a drop in the bucket. Is, well, when you look at the electric scooters, a drop in the bucket. A drop you cannot, in the bucket. Yeah, electric scooters are substantially oh, more. And sure. You, you Thousands of dollars. Me, right. Name me a retailer that does not have several electric scooters. At least four or five. Four or five. So cost for these retailers, that's not that Mm. that's not a problem. It's not the cost. And what are some of those other excuses that they're um, putting? Or what are some of those roadblocks and barriers? I'm just really fascinated from a corporate perspective why they're saying no. It's there's a saying that I've learned: don't take no Mm. from someone who can't say yes. Don't take no from someone who can't say yes. So what are the roadblocks? The manager maybe just is too busy. He just doesn't know. He doesn't want to take the time. He hasn't heard about it. He never got the email from corporate. Oh, I'll look into it. I'll call you back. It's mm. it's just not for some areas maybe of the country, for some, you know, maybe different cities. It's just not on their radar. They feel like, you know, I don't know enough about it. And which mm. is crazy because we've been in the market since 2012. Mm. 2012. So again, that's where we need the families to come in and say, here is my child with, with special needs that cannot use those carts. Mm-hmm. This is why we need it. Education is key. Mm. You've got to educate these retailers. And again, I so, so many have, once they really see it and understand it and get it, they do come on board, but it should not, it should not be a fight. And unfortunately for many, it is a fight mm. and that's wrong. I agree with that. And I think that's probably true of all accessibility efforts. It's 
always a very reactive mindset because that's just it's usually there's a problem you either sue or you try and make change but it's on you the community to ask for it and to demand yes, it right 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 so right what Caroline's was it like for caroline be... oh well when caroline was she was around again eight years old maybe nine by the time nine or ten when we got the prototype so you know she can't talk so she she couldn't verbalize anything but sure. We know that she knew what it was, hmm. and it was very exciting for us to see her in it for the first time, even yeah. though it was in my dining room because it was the prototype. <laughs> um, but the very first time that we were able to use it in a store, it it was it was very emotional. I will tell you that for both of us Aww. because it was so much work. It was, it still is so much work, and I'm just I'm I'm, I'm proud of her. I'm proud of what the cart um, does for families. Mm-hmm. And I know that families are counting on me to continue my efforts to fight for Caroline's cart until it is standard in every store. And so what's next on the journey? What's left to do? How many or how many more industries well, do you need adv- to check off the box? You know, still advocate. Ad- until every retailer has it, we continue to advocate. One thing that I want to talk about that I think is that, that you could identify with is retailers, restaurants, anywhere we go, they have to level the playing field. It's not a level playing field for Mm -hmm. the special needs community. So these retailers that are providing all these fun cards, yet Caroline's card is optional. Okay. How do we level that playing field? Mm -hmm. How do we take a product that is for the disabled and put it on the same playing field as a standard cart? Mm -hmm. That is something that I am continuing to battle even today is level leveling the playing field for the special needs community. Is there any push that can be done on the manufacturer and the production company for saying, if you're buying a cart, you then have to add at least one Caroline cart? Kind of like right, with well, the ADA, right? So what they did, um, they, they when they made the modification for 2010, they said any new building that is created or any building that is updated, that is older, they have to come up to code. So it's essentially like coming up to code, right? So if a Home Depot were to buy additional carts, they then are now required to at least get one Caroline's cart. Well, I love how you think and I wish we could do that, but we can't. <laughs> Um, we have a wonderful manu- uh, we have a great manufacturer. Their name um, they're called Bonzel, and they are in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So I would say just about every traditional standard shopping cart you have ever touched probably comes right out of North Carolina. So oh, okay. they have a wonderful sales team, and they are out there pushing it. But yeah. again, we right yes yay, and we applaud that yeah, on the sales team. That's, that's awesome. I'm sure they're definitely that is helping awesome. out. But we cannot, we, you know, we can't make them buy it. Um, mm. Yeah, I, w- I wish we could because if that was the case, we would be in every store. But I am very hopeful that with people like yourself doing podcasts and parents mm. out there advocating, if we can just make enough noise, I think we can level that playing field. Mm. We just can't give up on it. We just, we, you know, it's going to be, I've been doing this for 19 years, 19 years. <laughs> And still going strong. So you're thinking 
more than just grocery stores. I mean, you're thinking about like the TJ Maxx's and the CVS's. Oh, sure. 100%. Anything with a grocery cart or anything with a basket, you're saying, anything that you need to buy. Right. Right. Hmm. So what are some of the other companies that you want to check off the box? Well, just it's any retailer. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, uh, recently I went to a Ross. You know, Ross. I don't think y'all have a Ross. Yeah, we do. They have shopping carts. They have shopping carts. Bed Bath and Beyond. They have shopping carts. If mm. you if your store requires shopping carts, okay, then they should also have Caroline's cart for your customers mm. that can't fit in your shopping carts. Mm. So yes, it's not just the WalMarts and the Targets of the world and your your grocery stores. It's also it's the whole retail industry, mm. and that's why we were so excited about Lowe's because Lowe's is. A hardware store, you know. So that sure. was such that was a great that was a great um, success for the special mm-hmm. needs community when Lowe's came on board and said, "Hey, we recognize we recognize that you're out there. We recognize that you're in every one of our communities, mm-hmm. and that we want to help you have an accessible, inclusive shopping experience." That's awesome. So another thing I'm thinking about is space, right? So the cart itself. It, it's a, it takes up a good amount of space. Probably not much more than like a standard cart. But I've done a lot of traveling in Europe and they don't have the space of like a Target or a Walmart. They're small little mom and pop shops. So have you run into that obstacle of, I would love to have this, but where am I going to put it? Well, not in the US or not in North America. I would say not in North America. We are... Caroline's cart has... Um, we are international. We are in Dubai. Mm-hmm. We oh, don't cool. have a we don't have a huge presence, I think, in Europe because of that. I have yeah. heard that. Now we have a few carts here and there in Europe, but I have seen those stores as well. It is a smaller footprint. However, with accessibility and inclusion, sometimes you're going to have to make accommodations. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about: making accommodations. So I mm-hmm. really don't think that one. Any store could say, we simply just do not have the room. I mm-hmm. think you make accommodations for that mm-hmm. segment of your customer base, which is special needs, to find room for it. Yeah. And what other advice would you give to the industry as you're approaching them and you know, you're, you're pitching your story? <sighs> There's a saying... Um, we all know that, you know, if you don't walk in someone's shoes, you have no idea. Mm-hmm. So before I had Caroline, I had no idea what it was like to raise a child with a disability and be thrown into that world. So I asked these retailers just to, for, for a second, to put themselves in our shoes to, to, to have a child with a disability. And I always have said, if corporate stores that have said no, or are like, eh, maybe, maybe. If if they walked in my shoes for one day, mm-hmm. their stores would have Caroline's cart. Mm-hmm. So I do ask them, you know, I try to, you know, put, put a spin on it. Just kind of tell a story to say, hey, let me tell you something that you might not know. I don't know everything. I had no idea what it was like to be a mom of a special needs mm-hmm. child. So let me just tell you a little bit about my world. And that really does start a good conversation. And it's, um, you know, you have to be, you know, you don't want to start a fight, of course, (laughs) but 
it really does open the door for open communication about a world they know nothing about. Do you ever take some of these store managers to their competitors who do have Caroline's cards? And it's like, your competitor's doing it. <laughs> well, I've never taken them there, but I certainly have told them about it. <laughs> Give us, send them some pictures. FYI, right. your competitor Lowe's seems to be doing it right. <laughs> right. So, you know, I'm seeing, you know, I have had the opportunity to see the tide change, you know. Yeah, uh, sure. Early, early on when it was no everywhere I went, mm-hmm. I wasn't getting yeses until I got with Technobill, who is now Bonzel. Um, okay. When you get with the right manufacturer, that did open so many doors. So mm-hmm. I've seen the tide change. I have seen um, we, the Carolines cars had great successes. We just have a lot of work to still do. Do you feel like we're still we're going in the right direction with accessibility in this world? What else would you I, like to change? <laughs> um, yes, we're going in the right direction, but I think it's going to be a constant battle. I wish it wasn't going to be a constant battle, but because of what I've been doing with the cart since 2012, that's just the reality of of the world we live in. You know, I just think business owners, I'll jump out of the retail world and, and bring in the restaurants and bring in um, the parks and the community pools. You know, everyone needs to look at their business through the lens of inclusion and accessibility. and. That's where people like yourself and the special needs family, we need to stay on top of that. And where there is, you know, wh- where it's not there, where we see that things need to change, that's on us to speak up. Hmm. That's on us to change that. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's, it's important. All businesses need to be looking at that. But I think sometimes to their end, to their point, they don't know what needs to be changed if if right. if they don't really you, know. You don't know what you don't know. You don't <laughs> know what you don't know. Absolutely. Yeah, I just and it's just a constant battle. It really is of pitching away at that iceberg that continues to sometimes it feels like it continues to grow. You fix one thing and then three more pop up. <laughs> right. And and I do again want to point out the stores that do do it right. Mm-hmm. You know, so many have done it right and it wasn't a fight but it always seems like for those that make you fight it just sometimes you know it does knock you down and you, and, and you and we don't understand why this has to be a fight we don't understand why they refuse to level the playing field but you know what it is what it is and that's what i continue to do and i will always advocate for the cart um i, I laugh and say it's my fourth child i mean <laughs> this is what i was called to do and talk to me a little bit about you're going into a, a restaurant and Caroline comes with you. Maybe your other kids come as well. What are those things that you're looking for? What are those things that you point out to managers to change? Just in a restaurant. So out of the retail world, just for... Well, yeah, for really. Real it could be anything. Yeah. Just we can start with uh, restaurants. Okay. Well, just, you know, Caroline's in a wheelchair, of course, and she's 19. So her wheelchair is rather big. We just... Sometimes you can't even get through the restaurant because the tables are so close. Mm-hmm. So I, I do wish that. that at least some parts of the restaurant were a little more open, bigger areas. I think that you know some of the tabletops need to be a little higher so the wheelchair can go in it and mm-hmm. not be stuck out. You know, a lot of times we ask for a table that's out of the way because no mm-hmm. one wants a big, huge wheelchair 
you know, we don't want to trip up a server. So we do always when we go out to eat, which is, hasn't been in a while because of the virus. Sure. We do, we do ask for those tables that are kind of out of the way. And a lot of times we do ask the managers to consider a, walk, a walkway area for, for wheelchairs. And what about retail? Well, of course, retail is, um, if they have a Carolina's card, of course, I use it. If not, that's just a great opportunity for me to say, hey, you know what? It's hard for me to push her in a wheelchair and the shopping cart, mm. you know, at the same time. And that brings, that opens up that conversation. Does, so does Caroline use a, a power wheelchair or a manual wheelchair? Manual. She, I have to push it. She cannot even push herself. She's not. Okay. Um, if you're okay with it, I kind of want to dive more into Caroline's uh, syndrome, Rhett syndrome, and what that was like. And those who are newly diagnosed, what does the timeline look like? When Caroline was diagnosed with Rhett syndrome, when she was four, again, she's now 19. I had never heard of it. So, of course, what do you do? You Google it. And then, <laughs> of course, what articles come up? The worst ones that you should never, ever read. <laughs> so, you know, as hard as Rett syndrome is, you know, I hate to put disabilities in different, you know, gosh, I wish I had that or I wish too bad it wasn't that. Mm-hmm. You just have to take what it is. You have to educate yourself on it and you do the very best that you can. Rett syndrome has a very, at least in my opinion, there's a lot of different ranges of it. Mm-hmm. A lot of Rett girls walk. Mm-hmm. Caroline does not walk. and She never has. Rett syndrome girls absolutely positively can learn. They can't speak, mm-hmm. but they use communication devices with, that they operate with their eyes. So it's, um, of course, it's a lot of work, not only on the family side, but also in the school systems, working to make sure that they learn as much as they can learn and they reach their goals. So it's just, you know, my advice to parents is just don't fear it. Mm-hmm. Learn everything you can about it. Mm. So schooling with Caroline. Has that been an equitable experience? Do you feel like she went through a good education? And what are some of those things that you would advocate? Okay. So for the school system, for me, get them in school as early as possible. Mm-hmm. Caroline is, uh, went through the Alabama you know, we're in public schools here in Alabama. So she was able to start school when she was three. She had school uh, therapies in the school. We also mm-hmm. did private therapies outside. I was always involved. I think that the parents are key to a successful education for their child. Mm-hmm. I will say that with, you know, I have two typical children as well. That is for a child with a disability and that is for typical children as well. However, for the child with a disability, you really, really have to be paying attention and at the mm-hmm. IEP meetings and mm-hmm. making sure that your child gets what uh, the law says they can get. And just, I think if the school knows you're involved, I think they're going to see to it that they that they do the very best that they can with your child. And Caroline is nonverbal, I understand. Right. And so how does the community perceive her? Caroline, we have lived in the same city her whole life. So it is that very helps. fun when we, when, yes, it does. Because the kids that she's been in school with in the public school. They know her. That's all she That's right. Mm -hmm. That's all she knows. So I think that that has been a great advantage for her. Mm -hmm. It's made me feel better. 
that we know the teachers, we know who the next teacher in line is going to be. We see them out at dinner. We see them at the grocery store. So when Caroline is out in the community, it's always fun and it makes me feel good as a parent when she is recognized, when a, a, a classmate will come up to her or someone will say, oh, she used to be in my class or I've seen Caroline in the cafeteria. So that's a great, that's just great for our community. And I think that children with disabilities need to be on the community as much as possible to help raise awareness for, for all that we are trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. And how would someone who doesn't know communicate with someone who is nonverbal? How would, um, like if I were to meet Caroline for the first time, how would you instruct me to communicate with her? Just to look in her eyes, just, you know, look, look at Mm. her and speak to her, you know, not speak about her, not speak to me about Mm -hmm. her, but to speak to her, you know, that is, that's so important. And, you know, again, a lot of people don't know, and I'm glad that we're talking about this because whether the child can respond or not, they can hear you. Yeah, And that's one thing I've had a lot of opportunities to speak to different groups. And I always encourage people to say, even if you don't know, assume they can hear you speak mm. directly to them. Mm. Yeah, because they I do can always hear tell and they people, can understand. Right. And I always tell people, well, she's not going to answer, but mm. she absolutely can hear you. And how does Caroline respond back? So I say, hello, Caroline, how are you? Look her right in the eye. How does she communicate yeah, she, back to me? You know, we we say about girls with Rett syndrome that they speak with their eyes. Aww. So she would lock in on you. And if you probably spoke um, like in a silly voice, she would probably smile at you. <laughs> oh, that's if, you knew, if you knew any lines from Shrek, I guarantee you she would smile at you. <laughs> that's awesome. And is it is it common for uh, Rett girls... To like, what is their education level? Like, what is their reading level? Are they at on par with their age? I, I'm just we not know. familiar. Of course, I don't know every rep girl, but I'm in so many different Facebook, national, international rep groups, and I absolutely have heard of some girls reading on level. So mm-hmm. again, I think the learning is depending on where your genetic mutation is. Mm-hmm. They say that some can learn maybe better than others. Caroline, I will tell you that Caroline is not on a 19-year-old level. Caroline does not read like that. But I have heard of girls that do learn to read, do learn to do math. I don't think that they are ever going to be like age-appropriate and going to college. Now, maybe maybe there's a rep girl that goes to college. So I don't want anybody to say you know, anything that yeah. I didn't know, but in the world I live in, you know, there is a learning disability there. Mm-hmm. And for sure that that has been the case with Caroline. Yeah, I think it's just important to educate the public on how to come up to someone who is nonverbal and how you communicate with them. Because a lot of people don't know, and I used to not know, you know, either the right. same thing with if you're deaf and you have an interpreter, you don't speak to the interpreter, you speak to the person. So yeah. similar yeah. to those who are nonverbal. And I think a lot of people just don't know that. You don't know, right. And it's and it always makes the parents feel good. I always, it just always makes me feel good when someone is out in public and will speak to her instead of mm-hmm. ignore her. Mm-hmm. You know, teach your children to just at least say, hi, hello, how are you? Yeah. That's, you know, it's, it's, that's not hard. And it, it, 
a great teaching tool for your child, your typical child as well. And yeah. it always is a benefit for the child with a disability. And for Caroline, what does, does could she qualify for a job? Is, it, is that on her radar? Right, no, Caroline could not uh, have a job. In fact, I'm not really aware of any girls with Rett syndrome that are in the workforce. Okay. Yeah. Caroline will always be at home with us. Okay. And so what is that like for you thinking about that, you know, as you get older, as she gets older, do they, is their life expectancy shorter? I would say yes, their life expectancy is shorter. You have no idea. I remember when I had to ask that question to her neurologist mm-hmm. and he said that for Rett syndrome, this is what I was told years ago. It's pretty typical and normal up until 10 years old. And then anything after 10, you simply don't know. I believe, um, I, I, I know of a rep girl that recently turned 50. Okay. I'm not sure. I, you know, I don't know if any have lived much longer than that. I don't think any are in their 80s or 90s. Mm-hmm. Rep girls have seizures and a lot of times the seizures will take them or respiratory mm-hmm. illnesses. So, you know, again, I've known rep girls that have, have died at two and three years old. So it really okay. is such a wide range. But, you know, it's, again, with all the things that they, all the challenges that they have, really, I think, you know, uh, I, I, again, I don't know of any that have maybe been over 60, 65. Mm-hmm. And for Caroline, regarding her ability to, so I guess I understand you take care of her full time, right? Change yeah. her bather, all of that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Everything. Is that pretty common for rat girls? Is there a yes. level of motor skills um, they need someone to help them full time? Right, sure. I mean, Caroline, again, I have to do everything. For the girls that walk, you know, they're, they're oh, going to sure. have more opportunities to, 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 to do self-care. But I will tell you that one of the, the major disabilities in RET is the girls have no hand function. So mm. that is one thing they lose. It's just so bizarre. When Caroline was around two years old, she could pick up her food. When the regression phase of rest, ret finished, she could not. She cannot hold anything. She cannot pick anything up. So mm. that is across the board in ret syndrome girls. They lose their hand function, and that is extremely limiting. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, I just imagine. Imagine that you have no hands and you can't use them. Right. That is what ret girls have to deal with. But she has muscle, like it's not a weakness in muscle or is it? No, it's just part of the disability. It is, you know, she can, a lot of them will, uh, they'll wring their hands like you're washing your hands. Mm-hmm. So a very typical, if you see a girl, like their hands are, you know, kind of pulled in and they... they... Okay, sorry. Uh, so you're saying so typical of rec girls, the hand washing, their hands. Yeah, the, the hand wringing. It's called hand wringing. Hand Caroline wringing. never hand wringing a lot of them will just play with their hands there's no okay. function there but they and a lot of girls and caroline used to do this would put their hands in their mouth mm-hmm. hand mouth you know that caroline did that all the time for years and then she outgrew that so mm-hmm. once you lose the hand function it's gone so she, she still constantly she, she constantly does hand wringing so there wouldn't be like let's say she were to have you know some type of a adaptive ability, like an adaptive piece on her arm, like a prosthetic that could uh, allow her, like a bionic to pick up food. I just I just don't know. I haven't seen what it looks like. So yeah. um, 
would an adaptive device help at all? You know, some girls can use that. And Caroline, when she was younger through therapy, would have these Big Mac switches. So mm-hmm. they would like for a yes and no, and she would just have to reach out and, and, and hit it. Yeah. And it would take her a long time to make the connection, I think, like from her brain to her hand to reach out mm-hmm. for it. But I am I am unaware of any rep girl that has enough ability to like drive a chair, you know, okay. a, a manual wheelchair. Some might have more function than others, again, mm-hmm. they range. But overall, the hand use is very poor in Rett syndrome girls. This is so fascinating to learn about. Just I like learning about different disabilities and diseases to know their progression. Just so I can sometimes I can spot it, you know, out in the community. I'm like, oh, that's CP or oh, that's right, yeah, muscular dystrophy right. or oh, that's MS or that's Parkinson's. Right. So sure, um, and I'm I, sure you've seen red girls. You just haven't known it. You know, just didn't know about it. Well, cool. Just yeah, didn't know, I, right. I'll definitely uh, keep that in mind. Did you have anything else to share just in general about, you know, Caroline's cards, Rett syndrome, any advice for parents raising children with disabilities, advocacy? You're a superwoman, superwoman. Uh, mom. Uh, <laughs> I cough a lot. I hope that we can get the coughs out. Um, oh, we can. Again, just <laughs> any advice I have is just to take one day at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, don't Google everything. You know, I, that's one of the biggest mistakes I made is, you know, looking everything up and try to just get a good friend group. You know, Facebook has allowed many opportunities to join these private groups. And I think special needs families need to communicate and you need that community. I've got friends with my typical kids, but that my my special needs family, when you're down, when you're in the hospital. They're the mm-hmm. only ones that are going to understand it because they've been there. So I do think that support group of special needs families mm-hmm. is critical for everyday, you know, just support someone to call, totally. someone to log on and just say, oh gosh, you know, these seizures are terrible today. Yeah. And to have somebody say, hey, I know, I understand. Mm-hmm. So, 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 lo- so, so get with that. So there's a red community, it, like a Facebook community or. Yeah. I mean, I'm in an international red group. I'm in a national red group. Oh, and I'm okay. in a state of Alabama red group. So, so you see it all. <laughs> it sure. And it doesn't just have to be Rett syndrome. Sure. You know, when I say get that, get in a special needs community, that's with anyone that has a disability. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have yeah. to be just Rett syndrome. But I think that it's important to me to surround myself with families that are walking the same path. Sure. No, the support system is so important has been really helpful for me. I'm in tons of muscular dystrophy yep. Facebook groups and channels and stuff like that. And as well as muscular dystrophy in general. So my my particular type of muscular dystrophy and then just all the muscular dystrophies and then just a lot of disability groups that are, you know, disability travel, disability this, disability that. So it's just right. really great to have that supportive community and you kind Some of just on that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Somebody that understands and is walking the same road you're walking. We're all in this together. For sure. Well, thank you, Joanne, so much for your time and your expertise. And I really appreciate it. So thank you for all you do in the community. And so Yay! go ahead and give your plugs. Where can people find you? Your shopping carts, all that. Well, the shop... Okay. So on our website, which is carolinescart.com, we have a store locator. So if you're like 
if you're in Georgia, you can click on the state of Georgia and you will find a list of the stores that have Caroline's cart. Mm -hmm. If your store doesn't have it, there's the information on the website of where to call a store manager to call. So, you know, use your cell phone, get out there, you know, pull <laughs> us up, show pictures of it. If the store manager, if you're somewhere and they're like, we've never heard of that. We, everybody's got a smartphone and you can pull up a picture and you can just show it to them. Yeah. And that's how, you know, then you can advocate for it. And, and I, I want to point out too, that we have had tremendous support from families that don't have special needs children. You know, I, I hear all the time, hey, I was at X store today. I don't need it, but I know there's people that do need it. So I asked mm, for it today. All your so I really Right. I really appreciate um, those families that are advocating for us and they don't even need the cart, mm -hmm. but they know that there's people in their community that do need the cart. Mm, that's awesome. And you're on Instagram, Facebook. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Awesome. Yep. All Caroline's cards. Caroline's cards. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Drian. Take care. Thank you, friends, for listening. Please rate and follow this podcast or text CART at 470-588-1215 with comments and suggestions. Tune in next week for another disability topic.